Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So welcome to Face to Face. I'm sitting here with uh, Matthew DeSero. He's a friend of mine. He's a comic. He's a magician. He's a uh, wannabe politician, or at least so I've understood in the last uh, <laughs> few weeks. He's getting pretty involved in uh, Canadian politics, and uh, he's joining us today for the next half hour or so just to talk about what it means to be a, a magician, comic, and I guess human being. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having my first ever podcast. Oh, is that right? Eh? It my, is. My second. So uh, we're... we're <laughs> we are professionals. We are pros, and we're in good company. So We're smoking, too. So, so I'm... Uh, 
I'm wondering about uh, the decision to become a comedian, the decision to become a magician. And you've said to me before that this kind of work is not what real men do. Why? Uh, why did you get into? I mean, the the comedy sort of came after magic, I think. But t- tell me a bit about why you got into the business in the first place. Started with magic, obviously, right? I mean, I think everybody, yourself, uh, your listeners probably know you have an interest in magic, so. Probably like you, right? You start in magic because uh, you're looking for a way to integrate yourself with the rest of high school. Um, And then you don't really pick show business. It sort of picks you, right? So I don't think... uh, Yeah, I don't think you choose to be in this, but you do it because there's nothing else you can do. This is... When you've failed... No, no, when you've failed at everything else... This is this is what you do. So, what are some of the things you feel that? Well, I've never actually had a job <laughs> ever in my life, um, but I know that I couldn't do anything else, right? This is all I can do. Could you? Like, you've known me long enough to know what could you honestly imagine me doing? I don't think I've I've never had a nine to five job. No, I, I guess don't. So. What about when you worked at the uh, the um, you worked in a movie house for a while, didn't you? Wasn't that? Yeah, I worked there for a year and a half in grade nine. And I quit because I didn't want to bring the 50-pound bags of popcorn into the theater from the outside in the cold. Because it was just too much work? It was just too much work. And I started to do birthday parties then in about grade 9, and I realized I was getting about $125 for that. And at the theater at that time, I was making $2.75 an hour. And I thought... We're dating ourselves a little bit. Yeah, but that was minimum wage then, right? Right. So I thought two seventy five an hour, but I loved being around the movies. And, yeah, great, you know, way to, great way to make oh. a little bit of money, almost like a hobby in a way. What doing the movie? Yeah, thing? if I mean, if I was to retire, it's something that I actually might consider doing. Oh, to yeah, work in a movie house. Yeah, you see a zillion free movies. You let all your friends in. It's the yeah. best job ever. So, are you telling me that you're just lazy? Is that what you're saying? I think all entertainers are bone lazy. <laughs> And myself included. It's not that I'm not lazy. I work really hard at the show yeah, business. Yeah. Like, I probably work harder than and 95% I, of the people. Yeah, and I think I can uh, vouch for Matt on that. And I, I know a lot of entertainers and met a lot over the years, and you're pretty diligent. And I get up every out. morning at 7 in the morning, and I'm emailing and contacting people and hustling. And that's part of the problem with show business, right, is the constant, relentless hustle. You never... The problem with show business is it's not scalable. Like, not, show business is scalable, but live performance isn't, right? So um, it's only you. That's all you can sell, and you can only sell your block of time. And then, like, I can't make money while I sleep, right, like some of our friends right. do. Yeah. Um, so you're just constantly selling yourself, and that's, that's what limits you, too, right? That happen once you put out a CD or a DVD or get a sitcom or write a book. And I don't want to be. I don't want to act. You don't want to I have act. no interest in acting at all. I have lots of friends who are actors, and a lot of them have paid off their house doing a movie, you know? Yeah. But I don't want to do that. All I want to do is my act. I like working. Uh, Houdin, Robert Houdin said, uh, Denis, that uh, a magician is just uh, an actor playing part of a magician. Are you... Are what you- a load of horseshit that is. <laughs> Seriously, it's just... The more true you are to yourself, the better the act you are. So really, you should, you're not so, acting at all. You should just be yourself on so stage. Matthew, right. So Matthew DeSero is Matthew DeSero on stage with props, being funny, interacting with people? Yeah. When, I'm, when I, most of my show is interactive, I bring tons of people up on stage. You've seen me. I'm just pretty much myself, right? I'm not. So uh, would you say there's a, a difference then to uh, being funny on stage as opposed to, say, just being funny at a party or being funny on the phone? You know, you, you crack a joke to a friend well, and you get... It's you know, different. The situation is, so on stage, you've got 1,500 people watching you in a theater, right? So all eyes are on you, so they listen to you. So every little thing you say is uh, 
can be funny. If it's funny, they'll yeah. listen to you, they respond. At a party, not everyone's listening to you, and I don't really have, again, I'm too lazy to fight for people's attention, so I'm not going to go out of my way to, you know, being funny at a party is more off-the-cuff funny, I so, guess. So it takes a long time to write a joke. I have to work really hard to write a joke. So, you know, you got to write this stuff and structure it all, and even the things that seem ridiculously improvised in a show are, are not improvised oftentimes. You know, I've, you've got to constantly, uh, you, get, you know, I do a bit in my show with five people and it seems really spontaneous, but it's, it's the it's same every show. Fairly calculated. Everything is calculated in the show. Otherwise, you know, I always have four women, one guy. This one guy so, is the butt so of all the jokes. The jokes are the same. cliche about 98% perspiration and 2% inspiration. That's what it's really all about. Is it about the work that you do before you actually get on stage? Yeah, oh yeah, I think it's totally about that. I mean, you have to work when you're on stage, too. You can't just phone it in. Uh, people probably know you were a performer, right? So when you performed, did you just go out on stage and hope? No, I mean, you were working, right? Yeah. So you, you have to be out there and so interacting gotta, with people. You, you, in order to get better, in order to be good, you've got to work it out. Is that, is oh, yeah. These, like, you know these comedy colleges they have? These schools for comedy right. colleges? Yeah, Humber College has something like that. Humber College has one. Um, sure others do. I don't agree with that. Like, I mean, I do, you can teach these guys anything, but you've got to go out and do three, four, five hundred shows before you actually know what they're talking about. So, you know, experience is something, too, like in any trade, I guess, right? Show business, my end of show business, magic and comedy is not an art. It's a, it's a, it's not a trade, but it's I've not an art, called, right? I've often made the distinction of, uh, we've talked about it before, about art and craft. To me, being it's, a, it's a, craft. a craft. And I think, I think an art, uh, a comic is, and people would take issue with me or will take issue with me on this. I think comedy is far more artful than, no, than magic. It's more magic. of a craft. I'll tell you, do you know John Wing? John is a comic from Canada. He's been living in America for 20 years. He lives in the States. He's been on The Tonight Show six times. Really, really famous. He's one of the best writers I've ever known. And his position is that it is a craft because uh, comedy and magic, variety arts is a craft, not an art. Because if you look at a painting, you look at the painting and see something, and I look at the painting and see something, and we might see two different things, right? But if, as a comedian, if I don't, create a picture on stage and have everybody at the exact same time see the exact same thing I'm a failure they won't laugh unless you know the best comics make everybody see the exact same thing at the exact same time and that's why it's more of a craft it's not an art so so, so let's let's play with this a little bit so I, I think that uh, social commentary comedy through social commentary uh, th that's got a bit more of an artful kind of edge to it so, but so it can resonate for, for longer so you know somebody like um Oh, I don't know. Boy, like Louis C.K. myself now. Lenny, Lenny Bruce or John Stewart or Stephen Colbert even. I mean, some of the stuff these guys are doing, these caricatures of... Right, know, but I want to say, even if it's political, right, I want to go, Stephen Harper is a douchebag because... And then I tell you the story about Stephen Harper. If I don't make everybody in the theater see exactly what I'm seeing, the joke is not funny. They won't laugh. Right. Right? So... That's but not still, an art. From a, from a social perspective or a political perspective or a relational perspective, a comic might make me think about my own marriage or might make think, think make Jerry sure. Green, for instance. I mean, he does some crazy stuff about parenting that's over the top right. and how kids are stupid because of A, B, and C. Right. But that doesn't make very, it an art. Very funny stuff. No, but it actually might give me an opportunity to talk to my wife about parenting on the way home or, you know, isn't that funny? And, and, and part of the reason why we're laughing, I think, is because 
because this comic, this person is is touching on something that's real, something that's true, something that's right, so, actually happening. So is that your definition of art? I'm saying, if you, for me and for I guess John as well, and for people who agree with that argument, if you a piece of art is something that is subjective, but it can't be subjective. The joke can't be subjective, right? Right, right. Otherwise, it sort of has to be understood by everybody in at, the same way. At the exact at the same, same moment. Time. It's why I think variety comics get, like myself, com- comedy magicians, have an easier time of it than straight stand-ups. If I am doing something with someone on stage, and I'm taking a knife and ripping up their jacket, right? And then I restore it. That's in the moment. It's happening now. Everybody can relate to that at that moment. But if right. I'm telling a story about something, maybe not everybody... Ha- I, don't, I don't have kids. You do. So if I go to see Jerry D, I might not find it that funny because I don't have kids. Right, right. But everybody sees what's going on on stage, me ripping up the guy's jacket. So I have an easier time relating to people. So, so I want to talk about... You, you mentioned writing a joke is really hard. Um, do you, for me. For you. I, I bet it's hard for a lot of comics. That would be my guess. I mean, you don't. It's I mean, volume, right? You yeah. got to write a hundred jokes, and maybe one is good. So, how do you write a joke? Do you actually sit down and type it out, or do you play? You play with it in the shower while you're driving in the car. Do you do you test it out on people at the at the Walmart? <laughs> I mean, or do you I get, test it? I take the earn as you learn right, uh, sort right, of right, thing. Right. So I I come up with something. Like I was just working on something about Starbucks for this thing with the salt of sugar that pours out of my hand forever and ever. Right. So a magic bit that has. It's a magic bit. It's got a. Starbucks cup in it, a whole bunch of sugar constantly. Classy magic bit, actually. actually. Traditionally a classy magic bit. I'm the only one, I think, taking it into the 20th century by talking through it. Usually it's done to music, right? Right. I think if you were to do it, you'd probably do it to music. I'd do it to music, yeah. Um, So so just really quickly, the listeners, it's an effect where you pour, you take a salt shaker and you pour a bunch of salt into, say, one fist and then it vanishes and then you reach out into the air and and you close your other fist and all of a sudden uh, uh, salt starts pouring out of your hand. And so it's, I mean, it's an effect referred to as the salt pour. It's quite magical quite beautiful and, and i'm not using salt i'm using sugar using and a sugar package i open uh, up the sugar package i'm talking i'm talking about well yeah i'm talking about the sugar how much sugar is in the coffee i like a lot of sugar you know sugar constantly pours and pours and pours out of what seems like a really small pack of sugar the uh the method to make the trick work is the same as you just described um but the point is that so i needed to write a bunch of stuff about starbucks um so you know i wrote 12 jokes that I thought were funny and I brought them on stage and those that worked stayed and those that didn't had to be reworked and I just have to work really hard. I just got to go, okay, some comics can just write it and it's instantly funny and maybe they know their own voice better or something or they're just better writers, which is probably true. Yeah, because there's a cadence to a joke as well, right? There's timing. I mean, this timing is, is so important, timing. cadence. and um, Voice, all these things. And also, like, what words you accentuate. Like, Derek Edwards is brilliant at that, right? Finding the right word that is funny. Every There's one word in every joke that's really funny. Right, right. Um, and you got to find that, and you have to sort of distill the... Keep distilling the joke down and take out superfluous words and all that kind of stuff. So I have to work really hard at that. Some guys... I watched John Wing. We worked on a cruise ship together. I saw him writing in his notebook, working out something. And the stuff he was writing was perfect already. I just go, I wish I could do that, but I can't. Right, right. So I have to work really hard at it. It drives me crazy. No, that's interesting. So some people really work at it. Some people just, it comes a little more easily. I think them. so, yeah. Do you think there's people who can write funny but can't be funny? Oh, yeah. I think, um, there. Are, but then there are both, right? Fran Leibowitz, the author, when she writes, which is like never, um, she's really funny. But then when I hear her speak, She's also really funny, right? What about like somebody like Stuart McLean? I mean, he's well, this really is it, right? I don't books. find Stuart McLean particularly funny live, right? Uh, but when I read his books, I go, oh, they're pretty funny. Yeah, and he's he's got such a huge following too. But it seems like a really 
specific demographic. Yeah, Ron James is like that too for me, I find, right? He's got a specific demographic, and if I read something of his, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny because he's ranty. Can you tell the show's Canadian? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry, we're talking about an international internet audience, right? That's right, global. This is global, baby. Well, this is, yeah, Canada, so we're talking about a small sliver of show business that so barely would you, exists. Would you call yourself more of a magician or more of a comic? Are you talking in terms of business? Uh, maybe in I'm terms talking... of business, yes, definitely more of a comedian. I try to. St- I keep magic out of it entirely. More as a comic. My agent and manager go out of their way to sell me as either a comedian or an interactive comedian. They keep magic out of it entirely. What about when you've been doing a lot? Matt's been doing a ton of cruise ships over the last couple of years, and and uh, so many cruise ships. uh, Kind of market, as far as I'm concerned. You've got this house of 2,500 people, beautiful theaters, and so on. Are you billed there? More as a comic? I am, I am billed as a comedy magician on those ships because uh, they differentiate. I'm a headliner and say Wednesday night, they have a comedy magician. The next night, they might have a comedian. They might have a comedy juggler. Oh, everybody has a comedy element to them, right? So they distinguish it that way. Um, and in those things, it's, uh, I would rather not be labeled as a magician because people... My show is not dirty, and there's nothing really offensive in my show, but if there are children in the show, it's detrimental to my performance. Right. Uh, if there's something, if there's sexual innuendo, which there is a fair bit of in my show, uh, people will look at their kid before they laugh. They want to see if it's okay. Right. So I don't want any children there. And when you have the word magic on the billboard outside of the theater, people go, oh, there's magic. I can bring my kid. And that's something that's infuriated me, having done magic for so many years and not so much anymore you know, from a performance perspective. I'm, I'm glad you got out. But no, truly, you're lucky. There seemed to be, and still does, when people uh, find out there's this connotation to magic that, oh, you know what, the kids, the kids love us. You know? Yeah, and that's kind yeah. of where. Oh, your performance it was really cute. Yeah, yeah. When somebody, and, and that's adults, how that's how you know you have not done well. Did well you know? What was interesting to me is adults would come up to you and shake your hand and go, "Oh, the kids had a great time," and they've yeah. got a smile and they're beaming from ear to ear, and you know they had a great time too, but they don't want to admit to it. Yeah, but when they say that to me, they might as well just punch me in the cock. <laughs> Because, like, it's the most offensive thing. So that wasn't sexual innuendo? Just no, that was right in your face. That was in your face. That I yeah, make no Lenny bones Bruce about that. I don't apologize for that. That's, you know... Apology but, accepted. But, like, yeah, I hate... So I would rather not have magic associate. And also, most of my work is corporate in nature, right after dinner, corporate events. And no company goes and calls an entertainment agent saying, you know, we want a... Ma- or very few. Very rarely they call up and say, we're looking for a magician for our... Because the association is with birthday parties it, it and this kind of stuff. Uh, people call for a comedian. Um, but at the same time, I have to be as funny as the comedians. I, I think I, I've done comedy festivals and I've had to work with some of the best guys in the country. And you've got to be as funny as them, right? So, so, so uh, what about... I mean, I used to hear comics. I mean, I've, I've worked with props as a magician all my life, cards and coins and hats and canes and candles and things like that. You had a beautiful act. Thank you. So so comics, though, comedian magicians for them, there seems to be a lack of respect. Is that true still? As well, there should be. Yeah? Yeah, you know? there should be. There, there should be. Because magicians don't write anything, hardly ever. Um, they have nothing to say. But even a, a comedian magician... I remember was looked sort of down upon because they were they were relying on their props. Their props were just a crutch for a comedian magician. Well, right? I think that's what pe- I think that's what they said. But what they're really sa- so <clears throat> I say this about uh, John Wing all the time. I had this experience. I hope John never hears this, but it's true. So the first time he ever saw me in a theater, did I ever tell you this story? Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he saw me on a cruise ship first time I'd worked with him. He's a bit of a hero for me. Always has been, <clears throat> and. Um, 
he comes in and he's watching my show. I can see him in the balcony, and he's laughing at all of the sort of original stuff in my show, the stuff I really worked hard at for about 20, 25 minutes. And then uh, in order to get into my closer, I do this really stocky old bit. It's, it's, I feel dirty every time I do it, but I just can't figure out anything that transitions well into my last bit. So I do this stock piece, and I, I do feel dirty about it. So I glance up at John. I see him shake his head. He stands up and he leaves. He left the theater. He didn't get to watch my closer, which is like the best thing in my act. And I, I just was like, oh. And that's like the essence of why comics hate magicians is because comics, every word that they say, they write and they finesse and they distill it. And, and magicians just come in there and they do these old bits. By and large, a lot of magicians do these old stocky bits. And they get big laughs with them. And but it's just, it's not, that's not fair to the guy who spent not, his whole but, life. But to be fair, I think and maybe fair is not the right word to, to magicians, there's got to be as many comics out there that are stealing as there are magicians. For sure there are. But I'm talking about the good ones, the guys that I respect. Right, right. Um, I will never, ha- I would never have, I'm right. friends with John, I play Scrabble with him every day online, but, you know, I had no respect from him in terms of the act because yeah, of that Scrabble bit. Scrabble online during the day, clearly not a real job. Uh, oh, no. No, no. When I say I work every day, <laughs> I work on my spelling. That's right. Um, you work in your pajamas at your computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a long commute from the bed to the next bedroom. That's right. You know. You gotta do something, um, but yeah, I mean, you must be able to see, right? So, if I'm a stand-up and I've spent from 20 to 30, let's say those years, that 10-year block, working out 20 minutes playing crap holes, and just just to refine everything that I've written, and then some guy comes along with a bunch of magic tricks that are, have laughs built into them because they're just visually funny and they have these insanely old stock jokes that've been around since vaudeville, and that guy who's been working for 10 years sees it, he's gonna go. Oh my God! A, he's making more money than me, which is, would offend me, and B, he hasn't worked for it, right? right. So most right. magicians don't work for that stuff, and that's why I, I, honest to God, I do try to, I try to write as much as I can for my act, especially when I'm, you know, if I'm booked to be on a comedy festival, you can't go out there and do stock stuff like that. You got to so go out you, there and um, work it. So were you always looking for a laugh? Am I always yeah. looking? You yeah. mean on stage or off? Ah, yeah, on yeah. stage, always. Yeah, on stage, always. Always, always looking on. for a laugh. Of course, that makes sense. You're getting paid to be funny. You're trying to entertain. Yeah, I'm, but like on. like every other human, some yeah. days you're not on, yeah. uh, and I feel myself. But what about at you know Christmas parties, uh, birthday parties? You're hanging out with a group of friends. Are you looking for the line? You, no, no, never. I'd be quite. I was at a party last night with my, from my, my girlfriend's family. So there is a bit of distinction then between. I don't want to be Desero on stage and Desero live. Well, if somebody were to say something live last on night, stage and live, live on stage and live at the party. Yeah, yeah, but like stuff came up last night, and I had some funny lines that I said off the cuff. But yeah. that could just be like you or anybody else, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going out of my way to have people walk away going, "God, he was insanely he was, funny." Yeah. I'm not that insecure. You remember Gene Sneed? Uh, I do. Who was, uh, uh, was ventriloquist, uh, Toronto Canadian guy uh, who who uh, passed away a couple of years ago, but he, he used to always maintain that, uh, and I think I asked you this question a little bit earlier, or at least implicitly. I might have avoided it, I'm sorry. You probably did. There's yeah, a no. distinction between being funny at a party and, and being funny on stage. And just because you're funny at a party or you're the class clown or you're the funny guy doesn't mean that's going to necessarily translate onto stage. It takes a different skill. It takes a different understanding, a different chop. And Gene was really big on that. And and you got to respect him. I mean, he almost came out of vaudeville, for heaven's sakes. I mean, he pretty well, much was working vaudeville. I also think, too, if you do this for a living, right, um, 
it's like you're you're an electrician, right? The last thing I want to, though I do it all the time. The yeah. last thing I want to do is uh, on your off hours say, yeah. "Hey, can you come to my house and wire this light?" Yeah. And I feel that way about st- I perform right. enough that uh, I, I don't need to be the star of anything, right? So if something funny comes up, I'll say so it's like what I, I think is funny. To, I used to I used to still do. We'll go to a we'll go to. A, I was at a very serious event recently, facilitating it, and somebody found out I was a magician, and we're in the middle of a pretty heavy dialogue and. We're coming to the close of a two-day conference together, and this guy knows, hey, hey, well, I'm I'm still waiting for the magic. Well, this is it. It's yeah. so empty yeah. and vacuous magic. Yeah. This yeah. is, and I'm sure that some magician is going to hear this and just completely freak out. But there's nothing substantive that magic brings to the and table. And it's a problem because sometimes I have things I would actually like to talk about. Yeah, uh, magic is limiting. So if I were a stand-up, I could go. Here is my position on the the teacher strike, which is happening right now, and then I would make that some jokes. Have an opinion. Uh, about the teacher strike in my in my intro and <laughs> in my intro I should have said uh, you know amongst other things he's you know loves film and video games and and sci-fi and Doctor Who I am name it, Star Wars yeah the, the list goes on a man of varied interests but also a man of varied opinions so lots of as everybody has and should have yeah, yeah but you're you're willing to voice them in a way that a lot of people I aren't. will voice the opinion when it comes up. Um, Although last night, for example, I'm not always pro-teacher. Sometimes I am, sometimes not. But uh, it came up last night, and I just bowed out of that. Um, but if I were a straight stand-up, at least I could go, hey, this, I'm doing this stuff about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stating my opinion, and there's a punchline at the end of it, right? Um, I can't do that with magic. There's no way for magic to facilitate any kind of opinion. <clears throat> or if it has happened, I haven't seen it. And I've been involved with magic for over 20 years. Have you ever seen it? I, I don't think I've made it make... I've never seen it make any kind of serious social commentary. Right. And that's why I respect straight stand-ups much more. Right, right. Because they're actually trying to say something... Well, not always, but they can. Art, and yet it's not art as far as you're concerned. No, it's not. It's a craft. But they have the ability to speak it, to a, a, a broader audience. It's not just entertainment. Well, they can use really. that craft to make social commentary. I mean, Stewart. I mean, I, my, That's I, not art, though, right? It's a, it is a craft. No, but, he's, but he, I mean, I, I can't think of a comic right now out there who's who's making as much of a statement as Stewart is. I mean, I love the stuff that he does, and yet he... Well, his, his writing years. staff of 17 well, also 17 helps. People, yeah, but the budget he's got is huge, but... But his ability to be funny, to be on, to, to make social commentary, and then to switch One of my favorites. and interview a Republican politician and actually show the guy respect and draw some really interesting stuff out of him who's written some... That people. is what I would love to do. And I have it within me to do that. I, and that is exactly what I would... I've always wanted to be like a talk... Not a talk show... I'd actually like to be more like a Paul Daniels. If I could... That would be my dream job. Uh, but I would love to be able to do something like that. But magic will never get me there. Uh, and as long as I use props in my act, I'll never be—I'll never even be considered for that, uh, because you know people just don't see the personality; they don't see anything, right? It's—it's—it's it's, it's so very what, limiting. So what? So you—it sounds to me like you know we, we could certainly draw some lessons out of this already. But what? What have you? What have you learned about? Uh, I don't know. It sounds kind of corny, but what have you learned about life? What have you learned about other people by, by uh, spending a lot of time on stage, a lot of time traveling? I mean, that's a whole other sort of. I could tell you a lot about traveling. I mean, certainly, the, the, but the traveling side of it is more of a job in some regards than the actual performance. I oftentimes say I am paid to travel, and I am even for uh, performance, I'm paid to wait. So I may be right. booked for 45 minutes, but I got to be there two hours ahead. Military, of you, you run everywhere, and then you just got to stand in line and wait. And you just hurry up and wait. I, I wait professionally. Right. That's you know that's and pretty, you pretty well to do it. And you 
you get paid handsomely to do it. So I, I don't I don't ever gripe about that. The money is certainly nice. I'm lucky too in that I, I am very well paid compared to a lot of the guys. So I shouldn't I do bitch because that's my nature. Right. Um, yeah. But I shouldn't. Guys in showbiz. Uh, well, you know what I mean. You shouldn't be that way. But we are the whiniest people <laughs> right. in show business. Um, <laughs> David and I were on a show together once. I think the trampoline act or something that was on the show was like, you guys whine more than anyone. Yeah, we were griping about the we dressing just, room or something. We were griping about the dressing room. But we were kidding around. It's a valve that you turn to is, release yeah. the stress of, yeah. like, where's the working lights back here? God, these dressing rooms are shit. <laughs> you just go, oh, it's a mess. At any rate. This is the worst it could possibly get, yeah. So, yeah, I, shouldn't, I should never bitch about the, obviously. So, have, have you, do you, are you able to learn things about people? I mean, are there, are there lessons? Yeah, you know what I've learned about people? They're assholes. <laughs> Everyone well, largely, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So you're a cynical comic is what you're saying. N- you know what? I, you, not on stage. You've seen me enough times. I you know, I don't. I don't. I'm not stage. cynical on stage, yeah. but I know that people are. That's more than anything. the people. You know, now I've worked so for people in 40 countries or thereabouts. I can guarantee you, they're all. And is that because of your experience with audiences, or is that my experience with audiences is saying that I don't want to believe that, but I just experience. Right. I have empirical evidence to suggest. The people are kind of douchey a lot of the times. Right, right. It's unfortunate, but that is even within the audience, no one is rooting for you when you walk out on stage. Right, right. But, but they're waiting for you not to be funny. Oh they yeah, want, it's, that, I find I find it's fail? combative. They want you to fail. Yeah, I find it's combative. Wow. If you're labeled as a comedian, more so in a comedy club than at a corporate event. There's all these different venues and different places you work. I mean, you're up for a different set of problems, right? But in a comedy club, for example, they're sort of sitting there going, "Make me laugh." Right. Whereas in a in a corporate environment, they don't even know there's going to be entertainment. Well, it's like doing magic. I remember working a lot of cocktail parties and you know walking up to a group to do something, and and as soon as they knew that you were a magician, you were paid to be there. Um, they, I'm know, taking show, more of your show, 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 show me something. Show me something that's impressive. You know, knock knock my socks off. Show me something I haven't seen before. You know what stopped me from doing so? Like David, I used to do close up magic, and I used to do children's shows, and the two. Um, the, the things that made me feel better, best about myself in the business was the day I stopped doing close-up magic and doing taking children's parties. My price went up, I was more respected, and I was mentally better. But the thing that stopped me from doing close-up magic, I remember very specific, I'm sure I must have told you this. I walked up to a group of people and I said, hi, I'm uh, Matthew DeCero, I'm, I'm one of the magicians. I shook their hand or something, it's two or three people, and I go, would you like to see a magic trick? And he turns his head and he goes, no. I hate magic. Can you just fuck off? Wow. Yeah. I and think, I, I think you did tell. I think story. I told him. And I just I'm turned around and I went. I always knew being a close-up magician had no profile attached to it, and being a close-up magician meant you're nothing more than a cocktail weenie. But that I was like, this is awful, and I never did it again. Well, I'll never forget ever Jay Sankey, who's a uh, not really a well-known magician in the I guess the real world, but certainly. Mm-hmm. But he's the Stephen magic. King of magic. He really is, and I remember him telling me about uh, uh, one performance he was at, and and how he just couldn't find that all-important <laughs> the first crowd, crowd. To, to approach and sort of break the ice. And, I, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty interesting lesson, I think, for, 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 for business people, for teachers, just about the approach and about, about how... Well, you've got to look for the first laugh, right, when you're on yeah. stage. It's, that's, again, see, it's, it's, it's like you're storming the beach at Normandy when you walk out to center ice on stage, and you've got to be... You get 30 seconds, you know from doing your type of act, you get 30 seconds, they size you up before you've said anything anyways. Yeah, sure. And then if you're not funny in the first 30 seconds, seconds they're just like really you get so little time to make that impression right so it's quite combative and uh you're making 
especially in terms of comedy, you're making like a hundred little decisions and tweaking and changing right, stuff right. all at the same time. It's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, like a surgeon. It's, I guess, <laughs> yeah. I'm not good enough you're to making, be a surgeon, making, you know? Yeah, you're making decisions making all? making crazy decisions, I would imagine. I mean, maybe the analogy doesn't play out in full. I would, I would liken but, it more to a Jenga game. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you got to make decisions kerplunk. on the fly. Or yeah. kerplunk, yeah, you know what I mean? So... It's so people go, oh, you get paid so much money, but there's like lots to it. A, I'm paid to travel. I gotta yeah, fly for 15 it's, hours, then wait around and do the show. There's lots going on. Yeah, yeah. My neighbors all go, you work twice or three times a month. Jesus, you get the best job in the world. I'm like, you don't see what I do yeah, in the yeah. day to get those jobs and it's, the hustle well, it takes. That's the 98 percent perspiration, right? All the work behind the work, all the work behind the actual effort and the, the yeah, this much show, this much business, right? It's huge. It's ridiculous, and people don't see that. So we we touched on it a little bit earlier. I asked you about the whole magic comedy divide and, and what do you consider yourself more of um, and you asked me the question my ego my ego tells me yeah. that I want to but, be more comedian right. <clears throat> comics would say I'm more of a magician you know that that's interesting I think <clears throat> comics would say I'm uh, comics straight stand-ups would say oh he's a, that magic act right and uh, magicians would call me a comedian right it's very right. interesting right. right but you still have a love for magic still love magic I still occasionally work out I still read books but so it's been a, so it's been a bit of a magic doesn't the problem is the stuff I have in my act lends itself to me and I've got lots of jokes and stuff surrounding it but it's very hard for my, for me to find pieces of magic that I can make funny that are suited to my personality and the types of venues I work um, so I don't it's not like I can go oh that's a great card trick yeah. I can do that tomorrow or, or work on it start working on it tomorrow so it's a problem right so do you think, do you think um, I mean we only probably going to have a couple more questions because I think believe it or not we're coming up to about uh, 35 we're, minutes yeah, we can, I know that's the way it goes um, I'm going to have another smoke then I'm doing the Sean Penn interview alright that's right so so do you think so I, I smoke because I too, hate myself I don't want to go too philosophical but but please nature nature nurture so are people born <clears throat> funny or do you become funny is it about the situation uh, or context or it, it, you know can can I read a book and become funny I don't know if you're born I think you can learn to be funny because it's craft right um, there was no one more unfunny than me in grade school or middle school, I would not speak in front of anyone in grade five wow, ever. And when I did have to go speak, remember like poetry reading con or not poetry reading where they make you read a poem from the class. Always the last guy to go up, hands always behind my back when I talk. I hated it, just hated. It. Well, it wasn't until about grade eight when I found magic. I go, oh, there's a vehicle for me to be able to get up in front right, of people, right? Right, right. So, uh, there's there's self -confidence the confidence builder. Self confidence, but that's why people get in. That's why magic is so full of social misfits. Yeah, it seems to be the case. And yet, there's something to be said for sleight of hand magic, for the work that goes into it, for the history. I so mean, much respect for those guys. I do. There's, I mean, and this is the thing that drives me. One crazy. of our mutual friends, David Ben. Yeah. One of the. Uh, say what you want about him. One of, one of the most magical things I've ever seen was something he did. Right. I think you might have been there, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what was it. He, uh, we were in David's library, and he did the matrix, the Ross Bertram's coin matrix, where four coins uh, vanish, one it for your listeners. A coin vanishes one at a time and reappears uh, in different places on a mat. And then he took uh, David's wedding ring and made it go on and off of a wand. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And Both really classics. Uh, classics magic. of magic, and in David's hands, yeah, I'd almost want to say it's, it's art, but yeah. it's not. Yeah, uh, I but, uh, yeah, I have a tremendous amount of respect for those guys. So, Too mean, bad magic, the world doesn't. Interesting, you know, Magic, uh, Steve, Steve Martin, uh, who else? Um, who downplays Magic and later got rid of it. Yeah, John, Johnny Carson. Downplays Magic. 
got rid of it. I mean, there's there's others. I mean, I, I was surprised. Who's the who's the guy on um, uh, How I Met Your Mother? What's his name? Doogie. Uh, 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 oh, yeah, not Doogie. Um, not Doogie House, oh, right? my God. He's so funny. He's such a yeah. nerd, too. I love yeah. him. He's a yeah. Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Huge, uh, huge magician. Uh, love for it. Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander has a huge love for magic. Yeah. It's a hobby, right? Yeah. Isn't his name Patrick? Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, Doogie Howser was Neil Patrick Harris. And he is now the uh, he uh, the Magic Castle. He's society. Uh, what is it? Uh, he's I the president he's of the. He's like the president that. of Magical Arts Academy. Deeply involved in the, in the Deeply craft. In, yeah, and co-wrote a show with another that magician That's from right. England. Yeah, Darren Brown. Darren yeah. Brown co-wrote a show Some with you guys him. Should check check out Darren Brown by the way. No, check was. me out. <laughs> Hire me for your corporate events. There you go. That's, That's right. don't don't even look anywhere else. You don't need these people. You just need me. So you need uh, the uncertainty me? of this business is also what drives me crazy. Yeah, no, it's. I'm never going to retire. It kills me. Well, you're kind of like a real estate agent in a way, from a business perspective, right? You 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 work a lot for three or four months, and then you won't work a lot for a little while. But the difference is, a real estate agent can keep selling houses till they're 80. Right. I'm legitimately marketable until 55, probably. Right. I'm so, 38 now. I don't have a lot more time. So you can learn to be funny. For sure, I think you can learn to be and funny, it, and it really does come through practice. But the more you do it. The better, because confidence and all these things come into play, right? But you could learn to be funny, I think. So one last thing. So little things, you know, uh, the little, the, the hundreds of decisions you make on stage, the preparation, the decisions you make about that, the, 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 the bow tie that you wear, the suit that you choose, all those things. Um, you know, earlier tonight we were talking about uh, The Hobbit. How, how many frames per second is it filmed? 48, 48 frames 48 per frames. second. I mean, can you tell we're nerds here now? Oh, yeah. But, so Get me on about Doctor Who and yeah. look out. But, but, but that's all about the little things about those incremental baby steps that the director Peter Jackson took to make because he's film. a nerd yeah total nerd but the little things made all the difference in this in this regard would you say that that's the way things have played out for you those little decisions I mean it's not about just picking up the phone and getting booked on a cruise ship tomorrow I mean this has been oh no those are, you gotta build the relationship yeah. and all these kind of things for sure yeah. those decisions and on stage too right like um, what's that old magic added you know if you come out with a wrinkled silk a handkerchief yeah. everybody notices it but if it's pressed nobody notices yeah, yeah but that's a decision you have to make ahead of time yeah, right so, so a lot of choices Ton, yeah and there's performance choices you have to make and sometimes on the fly because the audience will change and then you have to change gears at the same time and you have to make those decisions and you got to make them correctly and keep going right do you keep Pushing on a guy who maybe you're getting laughs with, you pull back, all these kind of things, right? They make those are big so, decisions to make. So, uh, so you want to do a talk show? So let's talk about that, and, and we'll we'll wrap, we'll wrap up. it up. I would love to do not a talk show because I, what I nobody knows Paul Daniels, but you probably remember Paul Daniels. I have some of his VHS tapes right there. Um, so it was a he came out, he did a few pieces or a piece from a show, and he brought out guests, other variety acts from all various disciplines, oh, okay. right? Jugglers, magicians, all these things, um, and it was his show. He hosted this Paul Daniels Magic Hour, and if I could do something like that I'd love to be the host of a vaudeville type show I would be yeah, perfectly so, suited for it I think yeah, and that's okay, what I want so, so hang on I think you would too I think you could do a great show but I also think you know you joked with me I think recently about getting in, into municipal politics I think you would make a great spokesperson for something I think that you uh, I think you are a good writer I think that you uh, are good in front of a camera and so on and a good public speaker you could actually you could take it to the next level and use that comedy chop and that magic chop somewhere as a public servant of one kind or another. I would love to be involved. You know, I mean, partially I want to be involved in public service here because there's, the choices are so bad. Um, my friend Glenn Foster always goes, you know, you could fire all these politicians. Anybody could do the job because they can't do any worse. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of true. And I just go, I couldn't be any worse than anybody else. And I, you know, I have a set of opinions that I would 
That's your campaign. The politician who couldn't be worse than anyone else. There's you couldn't be worse. Hey, could you get any worse than what we got now? Yeah, there you go. So uh, check them out, uh, Matthew Desero. What's your website? Uh, Website is mattdesero.com. M-A-T-T-D-I-S-E-R-O.com. And uh, David and I do a show together too called Mosquitoes Suck. Uh, and that website, you can learn about that if you were interested, is don'tbiteme.ca. And that's uh, maybe a conversation for another time. So uh, thanks, Matt, for uh, joining us. And Thank you for letting me smoke and drink on your podcast. Mm-hmm.